Greetings, most excellent Theophilus. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is November 19th, 2021. My dog is 11 years old. If you want to hop on to my TikTok, Stephen the Stole, you'll see I did a video where I sang him a little ditty. Uh, he's my little boy, and I love him to death. And he's got diabetes, and he can't see. But today, uh, we're, you know, chatting about things as usual. Uh, articles are coming out about um, a flu outbreak. I don't remember where it was. I just saw the article on my side panel uh, on my phone. <laughs> I look at it and it's like a flu out, out, I'm sorry. It's cold and flu season. I'm not too surprised. <laughs> um, it's not like it's new or special, I don't think. Um, you know, it happens every year. People sort of get vaccinated for it. You know, the flu vaccine is actually safe and tested and has been around for Lord how long. Um... You know, unlike certain vaccines, it actually protects you uh, from getting the flu. Um, but it's no big deal. Like, it's flu season. We expect there to be outbreaks. That's, I mean, what, did everybody in the area get, not get vaccinated for the vac, for the, uh, for the flu? Did they, um... I mean, the way the flu works is they predict what strains are going to be in your region in the flu season. So perhaps they mispredicted. Um, heaven help us if all our science has caused a flu strain superbug. Um, but, um, no, yeah, no, that's the problem with the other big uh, plague going on is... It's, it's the model's been herd immunity or, you know, till it's eradicated and <sighs> till it's eradicated is ridiculous. Um, it's uh, the diseases. What, what disease have we actually made to be non-existent? Oh, who gets polio anymore? Yeah. Cause we vaccinate against polio. You get your Tdap, you get your rubella, uh, you get your smallpox. You get your chicken pox. Get your measles. Um, you get your, you know, you don't need the shingles unless you had chicken pox. The sickness, not the vaccine. Um, and then now CDC is starting to change its mind about herd immunity, but it's, it's not like they, it's not... You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like they've literally changed the narrative every few weeks since the beginning of this whole thing. You know, it's it's, it's sad, Theophilus, and we need to be in fervent prayer, sackcloth ashes, if we must, begging, begging, begging that God has mercy on His people. That, uh... oh man. The days need to be cut short so as to preserve the elect. Because <laughs> it's... Uh, apparently, uh, last week's episode, 
uh, was considered bashing by some people. Um, which I, you know, I have, <laughs> I try not to listen to certain people just because they'll, I know it'll make my blood boil. Um, so I'm not very familiar with how, uh, how Leighton Flowers addresses James White. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that when he's talking about Calvinism, when he, if he addresses people by name, uh, he, you know, he, and he says what he says about, uh, these things, uh, could that be construed as, as bashing? Um, um, it's, it's part of addressing a position that someone else holds, that you address the position. Uh, if you, I didn't even name names last week, um, I just, I was just addressing what they had expressed and behavior. And that's the thing is that one is accountable for their behavior for the patterns that they follow. Um, and it's not like I'm doing anything new. If you listen to the alarming Arminianism episode, I, I go very, very harsh on um, the Wadester um, because that man dances on heresy in order to deny Calvin. But, you know, maybe I should look to the biblical example of how to deal with people <clears throat> who have problematic differences of opinion. Let's see. You know, it's, 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 it's all about in this culture, what would Jesus do um, in, in talking with people he, he disagrees with? And he, he starts off really good in uh, Matthew uh, 20... Well, I mean, there's also Matthew 5, 7, you know, uh, judge not lest ye be judged, you know, that's a great, great, great passage, you know, except every time someone quotes it to you, they're judging you, and that's where you need to show them the context where it says, judge not lest ye be judged, for in the same way you judge, you too shall be judged. Um, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brothers. In other words, um, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, Jesus says elsewhere, um, you judge by outward appearances. Stop judging by outward appearances and judge righteous judgment. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the righteous man judges, or the spiritual man judges all things. Um, uh, Jesus specifically, regarding behavior, um, in Matthew 23, uh, 12 onward, he says, uh, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Um, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Oh, Jesus, you're calling them hypocrites! Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Jesus, that's really harsh. Are you bashing the Pharisees? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites. Uh, for you devour widows' houses 
and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. That's really harsh, Jesus. Come on, put the glasses back on. Put back on the rainbow sash. We want our hippie Jesus. Not this harsher Jesus. What do you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites? Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold of the temple? The, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, and hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's a harsh words. He's bashing them. He's calling them stupid. He's effectively, he's saying you're blind. You're blind. You're hypocrites. Look at how you're hypocrites. Look at how you are blind. He's saying, you blind guides. This is, this is just, this is just a, this, oh, oh man, this is terrible. This is inflammatory. Look at what Jesus says to these people. It's so inflammatory. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus, that's not how you're going to win souls. What do you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites? For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may become clean also. What do you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the inside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and are all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy, and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you blind, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? And he says more. And no, my enemies aren't Pharisees, but look at how Jesus addressed them. It's perfectly in his eyes to say, hey, you are blind. 
here's y. You are x, here's y. Here's and it, it's this is part of having a mature dialogue. This is part of being grown up. Um, is being able to take criticism. This is the fundamental thing. This is the problem that most people online have. They want to be big. They want to have their name everywhere, but they don't want criticism. If you put your opinion out there in the aether, you're going to get a response. And that response may not be what you like. You have made me myself subject to criticism um, by accusing me of bashing theological opponents. Um, frankly, when my position is misrepresented uh, and referred to as evil, as making God evil, I feel like I have a right to criticize my opponent. I have... I have a right to respond to attacks against what I believe. And I've always believed in calling a spade a spade. If someone is incorrect about what they're saying about me, I'm going to tell them they're incorrect. And I'm going to point out how it's wrong. I'm going to tell them I'm disappointed in you. I'm going to tell them what you're saying to me is stupidity. And here is why. And if that's not the opponent's cup of tea, then, I mean, if you want a group that will lift that up above all else, then go join the Latter-day Saints. Because Joseph Smith shoved down the throat of Jesus Christ the words, He who hath the spirit of contention is not of me. But when you put an idea out there, you're opening yourself up to criticism. Uh... <clears throat> and if you're listening, you know very well that I have offered you to come on here and to speak your piece. Because you said you prefer dialogues to debates. And I'm more than happy to dialogue about it. Uh, so, we can arrange it. All you gotta do is download the Anchor app and... Um, Oh, I don't remember how we have to get in contact on Anchor. I think it's we have to, I think it's we have to follow each other and then we can send I can send you an invite. Um, but yeah. Facts are facts. Facts do not care about your feelings. Um, the person we primarily talked about, we primarily referenced last week is, does factually misrepresent Calvinism. Uh, and at one point effectively claimed that his misrepresentation was accurate, which is just wrong. And if you're listening, you come very close to bearing false witness about what we believe. Uh, and I would just refer you back to what you once said to me earlier, warning me that Calvinists are arrogant. Sir, your anti-Calvinism is laden Laden, huh? Laden with arrogant stances, just defiantly rejecting our corrections.
That's arrogance. I, I've talked I talked for months with Muslims last year. I know what arrogance looks like. I know what it's like when an ignorant person comes in, just repeats what they think, and then you correct them, and then they keep repeating the ignorance. That's called arrogant ignorance. I call that. I've coined that. I call that arrogant ignorance. At first, you did not know, and now I've corrected you, but you're still repeating the falsehood, as if I never corrected you. Um, and at that point, I'll still endure all things for the sake of the elect, as Paul wrote. Um, but really, all I can do is just hope that God softens your heart towards these things. You're very, very bittered. You're very bittered towards Calvinism. And that's a problem. I think that's a problem. I don't despise the Arminian. I'm very happy for my Arminian brothers. I'm very glad to have them. I would not be the man I am today without countless of them. I just wish I could feel the same attitude from you. What I've heard expressed about Calvinism. It comes to the point where I almost feel like questioning, do you consider me a brother in the faith? It, it feels very much like Martin Luther saying to Zwingli, he is of another spirit. They agreed on 14 of 15 points of doctrine. And one thing they could not agree on. The, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Table. Martin Luther had consubstantiation. Zwingli had memorialism. Although not really the same kind of memorialism I would hold to. And Luther supposedly had a dagger and he carved into his table the Latin, hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. And whenever Zwingli was talking, he would pound the table. Hoc est corpus meum. Hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. Get it through your thick head. It's a shame Luther didn't read, didn't think about the context of the Seder Passover, but... <sighs> And they agreed on everything else, except for one thing, and for that, Luther could not have fellowship. He said, Zwingli is of a different spirit. And it saddens me. Because once being lockstep brothers, defending the faith, I now feel estranged. And... It's disappointing. And it's it's unfortunate. I wish it was different. Uh, but as I've talked about before, God works everything toward the good of those who love him, and I've seen him work even in this estrangement. Now, we're going to slide in an interview that we recorded just before this segment for... The betterment <laughs> for the good of the order. Um, not to impress Molinism as the view of the provisionist or the anti-Calvinist, uh, but as I'll explain in the next segment, I think Molinism is the only logical counter position, uh, or at least some expression of it. Now, it was not given by the good uh, captain who we shall interview, but... Um,
Molinism is Catholic. It is not a Protestant doctrine. Um, the Protestant Reformation was nested in what would become the Reformed Calvinistic faith, what would become the, the doctrines of grace. Um, it, it all came back. It, it, Luther said of Desiderius Erasmus, the Catholic bishop, uh, father of the Textus Receptus, you have identified the lichpin upon which the Reformation turns. Because, and this was their position, Martin Luther wrote, I believe in response to Erasmus, he wrote, the bondage of the will. It was Desiderius Erasmus who wrote the freedom of the will. And this is the heart of the Reformation. Not that grace is needed, but that grace is the sole sufficient factor. As Romans 9.16 says, it is not of him who wills, nor him who runs, but God who has mercy. That was Luther's position. That every ounce, every ounce of it, it's monergism, God working. God changing our heart, ripping out our heart of stone, giving us the heart of flesh, changing our mind from being according to this flesh to being according to the spirit because we didn't want God before that and I praise God that he did I did not want him but yet he wanted me God loved us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us we love him because he first loved us he adopted us kicking, screaming from the sallow pen of our swinely mirth. That instead of being pigs to a slaughter, we were brush destined toward the fire. So, something happened called the Counter-Reformation, after the Reformation, to, well, counteract, to bring people back to Catholicism. And in that, a Catholic by the name, a Jesuit by the name of Molina, came up with Molinism. Um, you can look this up, you can fact check me, this is accurate. Um, Lane Craig, Frank Turek, um, my Armenian brothers, your soteriology is... Catholic. Um, and I had, I had my own realizations when I was coming out, when, when I was coming to a biblical, a more biblically grounded faith. Um, I came to my own realization of this notion I had was all fouled up. Um, and it was about justification. I had the Protestant view of sin, that there is only mortal sin. For the wages of sin are death. Um, 
but I had the Catholic view of justification. Because this is a common thread in a lot of circles, that you can lose your salvation. Um, now, I know my opponents particularly don't hold to that, but I'm just saying, that's... I had a lot of Protestant ideas, and then I had Catholic ideas. Because at that point, my faith wasn't my own. It was a cobbling of what I'd been taught. And it, what I'd been taught wasn't purely from the Theonoustos. Because the Theonoustos is clear. Scripture is clear about those matters. And it created in me Terrible, terrible fear and guilt. Unprecedented. There, there's that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. There is that ick, that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But the dread that I had was wrong. Because the dread that I had was that whenever I did that, I lost my justification until I repented, until I turned to God in prayer and said, forgive me. I was Catholic without the priest. I just shifted the priest to the proper priest, but I didn't understand that his work, it is finished. That the Holy Spirit produces in me the godly sorrow not that I've lost my stance with God but that I've grieved the Holy Spirit and unlike the Catholic my recourse to thee is not said to Mother Mary but is to said but is said to Yeshua HaMashiach my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and there's no more peaceful thing there's no more One of the, the most powerful moments in my life was realizing that. Realizing how wrong I was and realizing the truth in Christ. Romans 5.1 And having been justified by faith, you now have peace with God. Words mean words for the Calvinist. When Paul says peace, when he says Irene, he's Jewish. He has the idea of shalom. He's not saying you have a peace treaty. He's not saying you have a handshake. He's not saying that you've thrown down your guns and are having Christmas dinner. He's saying those guns have been melted down. He's saying that anything that can be used for warfare has been stripped away from the playing field. He's saying that you have wellness of relationship with God. You have true peace and harmony with God. It will never return to violence. And when you realize that, my brethren, my sisters, There are few things more powerful than that.
in that realization. To be able to join lockstep in Paul in saying that I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor things created, nor anything, anything will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I can say scripture with confidence and with reverence and see its beauty in ways I couldn't necessarily before. In ways I'm so happy to be able to. So I'd ask, when you're reading the Bible, when a promise from God is delivered, think to yourself, am I able to truly say this? Can I repeat this as if these are my own words? Or is there something underlining them? Severely underlining them. When I say you have peace with God, do I really mean so long as you keep up your end of the bargain? Or is there peace with God? Have we been reconciled to God? Or... Are there some people, even though I'm telling them they've been reconciled, they aren't. They never will be, because they have to somehow reconcile themselves, rather than just accept the reality that if you are in Christ, am I making statements that are definite, conditional, and conditional beyond their context. Paul's talking to saints, so the condition is he's talking to saints. Something to think about, my siblings in Christ. And now, to the interview. <laughs> All right, long time no here. Captain Kelvin is back on the podcast. Or just... <laughs> Back on social media in general. Right, right. Would you like to tell the audience a little bit about that? So, uh, for those who don't know or didn't get like a little synopsis of what happened from my page, if you don't, if you don't follow me, please follow me at Captain Calvinist. Uh, pretty much on any other social media platform out there, that is what I am, Captain Calvinist or Captain Calvinist of Swords, if you're on TikTok specifically. So... <clears throat> I have I have joined a senior military college, that being nowhere called Vermont. So I'm not in the great state of Texas anymore. In a corner, I am in a northeast. And recently, I have been going through what the school calls Rookton, which is sort of kind of like the initiation period for uh, first-year cadets or likely to be first-year cadets. So, like, you know how West Point has its pleb year? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you hear that, Stephen? Yes, yes. So, you know how, like, West Point has their pleb year? Like I'm more familiar with soldiers in the field rather than how they get to the field. But... Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of like your hardest. It's supposed to be your year to get you acclimated to, like, military lifestyle and uh officer lifestyle so they're not making you a three-week wonder got it 
No, no, I become a three. You become a three week. You have to become a one week wonder. Uh, so the way our first week went down is actually kind of funny. So, uh, we're getting ready, and in Cadet Land, they're still allowed to to do shark attacks somewhat. What is that? <laughs> that's where they line you up in your cadre, who are your cadet training staff. So it's a bunch of other cadets that are basically like two years ahead of you. So they're juniors. Mm-hmm. And they announce themselves to you. Then that's when you start to push. And essentially they just, their goal was to get us into our barracks and get us like changed into PTs and then smoke us for, uh, I think the eight hours that we were smoked for. Mm. So it was a lot of push-ups and a lot of running. But that was that was the first week. But in that time period, it essentially started in August, I think is when I made my last TikTok mm. before I went out. And Seems that continued right. till last week where I got recognized and now have earned myself the title of cadet. Nice. So I have basically all my f- privileges back. I have my phone. I am getting my hair back when it starts to grow. Thank goodness. I, however, will no longer have my glorious Calvinist goatee. Oh. Which sucks. But it'll probably come back one day, maybe. Hopefully. I feel like I heard something a while back about the regulations changing regarding mustaches. Yeah, so cadets cadets and military personnel are allowed to have mustaches within a certain uh, boundary. Mm, okay. As long as you know it's not like handlebar, like curl it up type ridiculousness. <laughs> you, you essentially have to have a cop stash, if you know what mm. I mean. Ah, yeah. But uh, no, uh, no Charlie Chaplin's? No, Charlie Chaplin's. No, that can get that can actually get you thrown out of our school. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Ah, well, it's it's good to have you back. I'm yep. hoping this means we can get to the point where a certain drow, dragonborn, and human that I for some reason thought was a um, ASMR will be able to adventure. Oh, and the Tiefling gal shall be able to adventure again. Yep, they soon will be. Hopefully, maybe starting uh, after Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, right. this week. This is what we might, might be looking at for that. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to slip back into that role. That was, was fun. Getting to... And... In the meantime, more ridiculousness has happened in my life. Like, Vermont is the least church state in the Union. Oh. For those who don't know. So there has been a lot of evangelism in my life recently. Hallelujah. There's been a lot of talking to people, showing Christ to people, and somewhat getting in trouble for it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Hopefully not with uh, anybody over you. Uh, mainly school administration. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. They can't. They can't throw me out. I'll sue them for religious discrimination. 
Ah, see, there's the trick. All right, let's get this. Uh, th- there's a lot more to share, but that'll probably come out like in like interview podcasts or stuff like that. Probably not best suited for this. Yeah, yeah, because but it's got it's gotten pretty ridiculous. Like, oh. just the other week, like the weekend before this one, I was out. No, it was this weekend or this weekend or last weekend, whatever. I was out in the field doing an FTX and getting shot at. So like live or blank? Oh no, dear Lord, no, they shot blanks at us. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I, I had posed to you to uh, check out last week's podcast to kind of get an idea of where uh, the headspace of Theophilus has been the last few weeks. Because on the Discord, um, anti-Calvinism has been on the increase. And the topic this week, um, I don't think will speak directly, properly to uh, the exact things at hand. But I find Molinism to be the only logical recourse against uh, Calvinism. Did I say those words right? Molinism? Um, Yeah. So... Essentially, like the Cal, the Catholic, like, please join us. You get both Calvinism and Arminianism wrapped in one nice bow. Right. Which, well, I mean, for those who, for those who don't know, that's not what you get. Right. That's definitely not what you get, especially like in a Protestant sense. If you try to do Molinism, you just end up getting multi-earth theory. Right. Right. The uh, Frank Tureckian, Lane Craigian. Insanity, which I held to before I... Oh, that might be a bigger thing to talk about, too. I'm a Reformed Baptist now. <laughs> oh, yeah. wait. So you're telling me... You told me, the person who's been offline for more than three months, that you were now a Reformed Baptist, but yet you had yet to tell your audience. People, this is Stephen's priorities. Oh, no, I've told them. <clears throat> they've, they've listened to my transition. <laughs> Okay, good. Good. Thought you were staying in the gray zone. No. It'd be really hard for me to talk about the Bible for like one and a half to two hours every week and for my audience not to pick up on what my theology is. I don't know, Stephen. I don't know. It took took literally... It took literally me... Uh, black doctor and everyone else telling you you were reformed and you're only now realizing it. <laughs> well, anyways. Um, no, it was, that was basically my, my soteriological stance before I finally caved into sanity was... <laughs> Oh, you finally caved into something that made sense. Yes, was uh, was uh, basically Molinism, and one of the first things I actually did uh, was I I wrote sort of a counterpiece, which I may I'm I'm we're recording this segment before the others because scheduling ker- kerfuffling, which was probably partly my issue of not over clarifying things as I ought to. Well, no, your your clarification was fine. It's just that I forgot I was in the Northeast. Oh, okay. And instead of doing 
two hours, or instead of doing like a four hour difference between us, I did no. Instead of doing the five hour difference, I did four hour difference. Oh, as if you don't know, it's currently four twenty five. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote a very strongly worded sort of a uh, dis. What's the right term? Sort of a breakup letter with Molinism. <laughs> uh, sort of a, here's here's how God is very, the nature of God is very, seems compromised. Uh, but I brought you on to be the one to talk more about that. So. Yeah, so. When it comes to distinct views on Molinism, uh, mind you, uh, Basically, all that's up here for like religious authority, by the way, is Catholics. So yes, I talk with Mol- I talk with Molinists a lot because it's basically the only thing Catholics believe at this point. Oh man, <clears throat> Tom- Thomas are a dying breed. Yeah, they are. Oh man. Anyway, there are still a few good Aug- Augustinians, but mm-hmm. few and far between. Anyway, that's not the point. So. Uh, when when you come with Molinism, there is a kind of like basis you have to uh, you have to establish with them, and that it goes to the very like belief of how you define what predestination is, mm-hmm. because Molinists don't necessarily define predestination the same way that a Calvinist would. Because, you know, in the reform sense, we say predestination under the sense of double predestination or an idea of double predestination. It has that type of context behind it. Mm-hmm. Under the Molinist view, you don't necessarily have that. You have something that leans towards God's foreknowledge of him picking the best scenario out of multiple scenarios. Or just single predestination, which in itself is kind of contradictory to like any form of logic out there. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, single predestination is kind of the idea that you're when you're born, you're hypostatically between heaven and hell, and God sorts you out from there. Hence, single predestination, because God has only chosen your destination once. If that makes any sense. Mm. Now you get to um, defining that separately from uh, double predestination. We would state as Calvinists that all men born sinful, born evil, uh, born fallen is the key word. All men born fallen lack the ability to save themselves, thus are deemed, thus are not deemed worthy in the heaven and are sent to the bad place or to be sent to the bad place once they die. You can say hell on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it loses a bit of it uses a bit of comedic flavor. Mm. You gotta realize that, Stephen. You're talking to an audience. You have to be able to get them to laugh. Okay, maybe hell isn't that big of a laughing matter. <laughs> okay, that was a that was supposed to be a joke, Stephen. Uh, what? Okay, then. Anyway. (laughs) All men predestined to hell. No way around it. Till Christ has intervened with his sacrifice. Mm 
through which men are saved by having faith in that, in which God has elected them through his, through his predestination, hence double predestination, because God has chosen you twice, or you have been elected twice onto something. Kind of like how you heard, have you heard the term stacking cards? Stacking cards. Not... So the concept is you have one card down, like let's say a three of spades. That mm-hmm. is a three of spades until I place a four of a four a a four of aces on it. So at first we start off three of spades. Then God takes the four of aces and puts it on top of us, and we are no longer three of spades. We are we are four of aces. That makes sense. <sighs> Which is the problem I have with that, right? Is it seems to <laughs> make God subject to this cosmic card dealer. Well, and, you know, people people have that, people have that, you know, idea, well, is God doing this arbitrarily? Is he doing this, uh, like, on his whim? Which is the biggest complaint against Calvinism in its whole, because you, people ask the question, well, is God truly good if he purposely ignores parts of the population which to which i say romans 9 19 and then you shall say to me how then does he find fault who can resist his will on the contrary who are you oh man yeah who are who are you oh man to to go against the word of god or to question the word of god well the thing and then it's it's the whole argument there through 24 and the acknowledgement that until uh, until Robert Estian, Stephanus, uh, there were not chapter, there were not there were not verse divisions. No. So it would have been a continuous dialogue from nineteen to twenty-four. Yeah, but and anyway, it is, but to digress, I, I mean, verses just make it easier to find certain things within a statement, right? You can st- you can still like believe it as coherent coherent uh, dialogue. It just kind of breaks it up a bit, which means it's supposed to be easier to memorize. Like I don't say the reason why verses were implemented was to help uh, priests, deacons, and pastors memorize verses mm-hmm. or memorize certain books because they would eventually have to write them out. It certainly helps, uh, but I think. <laughs> acknowledging that there's no reason to break up that dialogue there no there's there's no reason if we're talking in terms of context but at that point we're talking terms of academic uh availability right and academic uh comfortability like i'll be honest you memorizing a like 400 line dialogue is a lot harder without numbering off certain statements so you can memorize it in portions. Mm-hmm. That, that's just convenience at that point, but I digress. That's like super way off track. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Anyway, but whenever you, whenever you come to that idea of arbitrary being applied to God, Especially whenever it comes to decisions of decisions of God, uh, 
you kind of also have to make sure that your own theology isn't doing that, which becomes what, which kind of becomes the problem with Molinism, I believe, mm-hmm. is God being arbitrary. Because it says in Molinism, the idea is that God picks the best reality, best possible reality that he can. Right. That being said, who's it best for? Mm-hmm. And that in itself makes it a more arbitrary decision than just saying God has set in stone what he has set in stone. Right. Um, as, as the premier apologist of Molinism, I think, would say, if I remember correctly, I think it's Frank Turek who explains it as he picks the, the most people saved, the least people lost. Yeah. Which you'd think if we're getting into effectively a hypothetical multiverse theory you would shouldn't god be able to find or create a universe where everyone's saved and no one's lost yeah and that's where you get that's whenever you that's whenever you can apply the arbitrary trait to god because he absolutely could pick a universe like that but he doesn't and that in itself creates an arbitrary nature because he's not directly picking the best result or what we would perceive as the best result. Right. And then and then it gets into the question of biblically what is God's goal in these matters. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously in the Calvin in the Calvinist perspective or in just in the general Protestant perspective, the goal the goal that God has is not just to reconcile us to him that's one of his chief objectives but it's to bring a greater glory to him or it's to bring a greatness of glory that we haven't seen that we don't understand really what i like to say is the great mystery is the goal of god like we know what's at the end of revelations we know what uh what John of Patmos is writing. But a lot of God's reasoning, because God is so far above us, eludes us. Because we just can't think like God. We can't... We can only think three-dimensionally. We can't think infinitely like God can. Right. We can only think up, down, left, right, side to side, inwards, outwards, 4D perspective because we feel time and observe time. We can't perceive anything beyond that. Certainly. It's like, I think the best way would be, it's like trying to predict. It's like trying to predict Schrodinger's cat. Right. You can't predict that. Unless you yourself were the, like, were the decision maker on whether or not the cat was actually inside the box. But then again, that's how you like ruin Schrodinger's cat. You actively decide to put the cat in the box. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's kind of that's kind of my. Those are like some of my biggest like problems with Molinism on a whole. There are definitely more. It's just I don't have the time to. I just don't have. I just did not have the time to put all these in cohesive uh, 
document a document so I could read off of it. Okay. Because I am a college student now. Oh. <laughs> I also do not have money, which makes it very hard to buy books. Oh no, that's I'm not home anymore, guys. I can't just go around buying ammo and Bibles anymore. Oh man. Captain Calvin is far from home. <laughs> Captain Calvin is no return home. <laughs> no way home. Oh no. <laughs> I'm legit, I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. I'm staying here in Vermont. Oh. Which also means I'm not going home for my birthday because my birthday this year is right on Thanksgiving. Oh. Yeah. Stick a candle in the turkey. (laughs) (laughs) That's always been a joke. This isn't the first time my birthday's been on Thanksgiving. Wait, really? Yeah, it's happened a couple times. Oh, wow. I, today, slight off, but we're just talking about birthdays. Today is my dog's 11th birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Pooch. Yeah, did a whole video about it. Um, Good for your dog. Good for your dog. 11 years old, man. That's like nine more years till it gets to put down. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was dark. He has diabetes, by the way, and he can't see no more. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Anyways. Um, oh, dude, this reminds me. Man, we have one person in our platoon that has diabetes. Oh. And during Halloween, we had to decorate our hall to make it look scary and everything. And in red paint, he writes diabetes kills on the wall. That's... <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. It's something else. It's something else. Yeah. See, if that had been me, I could have taken that very morbid and just, like, ground down the tips of a bunch of my used needles and just hung those up. No! (laughs) Grind them down so that it's safe, you know. Oh, Uh, gosh. So, is there... Or so were we just supposed to talk about Molinism today? It was it was that and then some general chit chat kinda like last week with Jeremiah where we kinda, Oh okay. We it was two hours long because we shot the breeze. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't need to be that long, just it's it's also just a chance to catch up because both you and him have been away for a while and have not been on here for ages. Oh, okay. So I so he went on sabbatical, right? Effectively, okay. from, from, yeah. Yeah, no, I I was gone because I was doing <laughs> shit. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh. So, here's one thing I probably forgot to mention. So, just so y'all know, I'm not going to like. The Corps of Cadets, just to do the Corps of Cadets. Guys, I'm actively trying to pursue an Army contract. So, like, I'm trying to commission it into the Army, just so you guys know. Which is why, uh... Which is, which is why I went in the first place. Like, I know a lot of y'all expected me to attend a seminary. <laughs> because, you know, I was talking to a few people, like, I might do seminary. Which I didn't. For some reasons I'll probably get into later. 
Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to actively pursue a contract with the Army right now, uh, which is going to the school I'm going to should get me that contract because uh, it's just that good of a school. That's good. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to, when I get it, uh, mm-hmm. I will be able to come in as a, when I commission in as a second lieutenant, I will actually probably be able to go out to wherever you are, Steven, and uh, maybe we won't have to worry about my phone dying whenever we uh, do a podcast episode. Yeah, that's, that'd be great. Um... Or connection issues. Yeah, and we could war game. And? We could. Because that was another thing I wanted to bring up. So, all that talk we used to have about Warhammer. Um, I discovered Star Wars Legion. Ah, uh, yes. I have a clone army. <gasps> I want to... I, I currently... I'm focusing on a Stormtrooper army. But I kind of want to get at least a... I want to get at... I want to get at least a fieldable level of everything. Uh, <laughs> so, when it comes to Stormtroopers... Mm-hmm. Get as get literally just enough to run an infantry company, then just stack it with ATETs. Ooh, I yeah, that's I, a meme main... right there. By the way, I just gave you a meme. Yeah, <laughs> my my focus is is it's it's a five oh first uh, impression. So impression. Look at me being a reenactor. Um, <laughs> um, so it's. It's you know I'm flushing it out. I I fell in love with uh, Dubacks uh, after painting one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nothing beats the clones. Nothing beats my clones. The clones are so good. I can't wait to uh, get into uh, the clones. I asked for uh, the Clone Wars box set for Christmas. Um, yeah, because it's just so expensive. <laughs> I bought the AA5 truck. That's nice. I got it from like eBay. It still wasn't that much marked down. I'm gonna paint it up A team colors. You know the A team van. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so that's that's an adventure. Um, so I'm I'm flushing out that it's gonna be great when I get into the clone stuff because then it's gonna be a proper transition. I'll have like the clone five oh first. I'll have Vader's fist. Uh, and things like that. Yeah. Well, I'll br- I'll, when I visit you, I'll I'll bring my I'll bring my uh, my star troopers. Oh, not star troopers, clone troopers. That'd be awesome. Whoa. No carbines. All long rifles. Ooh, interesting. Don't ask me how I was able to pull that off. Let's just say a bunch of kit bashing and a lot of money. <laughs> I've been doing some kit bashing of. Uh, my own. I'm actually. I plan with the rebels. Um, I want to incorporate the fleet troopers, but I feel like fleet troopers only work on the Tantive. But if I base them for the Tantive, I don't want to run them like they're on a planet. So I'm kit. I'm kit bashing. I'm making kind of post episode four uh, fleet troopers like the sons of Alderaan, and they're yeah. just kit bashed with rebels, regular rebels. So. Uh, just so you know, Stephen, now is my time to go. Oh, okay. I, just, I have to bid my farewell to all of y'all. Uh, just uh-huh. closing statements before I go. 
coming up here up north to the least church state in the country, guys, um, the faith it makes you realize just how much how important it is to share the faith with people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people here who haven't picked up a Bible their entire lives. Let's pull that. All right, that I met. And some of them were from other countries. Some of them weren't, though. Some of them are here in our country, and they haven't picked up a Bible their entire life. Guys, please, when you go to when you go to a bookstore, you can literally buy New Testaments for like less than five dollars, and you buy a you can buy a stack of them for less than five dollars. Go to your school. Go anywhere. And give someone a New Testament, please. It's going to change their life. If they accept it, it will change their life. It will help them. And it will start something greater than what you can ever imagine just by giving someone the gospel. Um, with that, guys, uh, from the Captain Calvinist, peace be with y'all. All right, take care, brother. Stay strong. You too, man. Thank you again to the captain. Wish we could have talked longer, but <laughs> scheduling. It's its a thing. It's, you know, adulting. Adulting. Uh, maturity, like we talked about in the opening segment. <sighs> All right. To questions. All right, the first question we've got is actually overdue from last week. Uh, Trad Iron Catholic, why do Protestants reject the sacrament of reconciliation? Do they believe Jesus just initiated it for people alive during the time of the apostles? I have to actually research what the sacrament of reconciliation is. Oh, penance. Um, well, we reject it because that's not at all what the scriptures actually use as a word. Um, penance comes from, uh, if I remember the Latin correctly, uh, ago something. <laughs> no, I forgot. Let me look at my Vulgate. I believe the word is... Uh, oh, I lost it. <laughs> In a 3-4... Um, I believe it's penitiam, penitiam, penitent, yeah, that's probably it. Um, the Latin, while an effective translation, is not a perfect translation. Um... The Hebrew, the, the Hebrew, the Greek word in, that was Luke 13, 3, um, the word for repentance is um, metanoia, or metanoiate. Um, it, well, chiefly, it refers to a changing of mind, not anything like confession, uh, or like penance um it's it's repent it's it, it does mean like confess yeah um 
let's look at the early church. Um, confession is identified in the Shepherd of Hermas. Now, I don't believe that's a particularly good book, but it does tell me uh, what the zeitgeist was of the faith at the time, and it identified confession as being to the Lord, not to a priest. First um, John, what does it say? Um, if we say we have no sin, then uh, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. The whole point in John 5, anything we ask according to God's will, we know he hears us and gives it to us. God desires that we repent and therefore should grant it to us if we ask it earnestly. Um, it's also the fact that in reality, these sins have already been taken care of for at the cross. The price of them, see with penance, the price of them has been fully done at the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Um, for us who are saved, we are saved perfectly. Um, repentance, that's simply a matter of our sanctification. That's the Holy Spirit working in us, conforming us to Christ. That's the godly sorrow leading us to repentance when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, It's Jesus didn't initiate penance. This was a joke I used to have on TikTok of Christ preaching um, that you are forgiven. And uh, Peter's off to the side with a little beaded bracelet trying to teach, um, <laughs> preach praying the Hail Mary for penance. Um, it's, it's unbiblical. It's simply, it's unbiblical. What shall we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Call upon the Lord, um, which no one can truly do but by the power of God. Um, it's, it's just, it's unbiblical. It's, this is just a case of you honor God with your lips, but your heart are far from him. For you teach us the doctrines of God, the doctrines of man. It's, this is no different than the oral Torah, except, except the Jewish magisterium actually wrote out all of the oral Torah. Um, there has been no, there, there's no word of Jesus to find outside of the New Testament, um, or of an apostle. There's doctrines that have developed over time. Cardinal Newman, you sit on a throne of 2,000 years of developed doctrines. It's, you, you can't, it's one or the other. Either it's been established for 2,000 years, or it's developed. And the development hypothesis just spits in the face of, two th of the 2,000-year-old church. Um, it's, it's just, it's anachronism. That's why we reject it. Because it's 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 ridiculous. Um, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute their sin. In Catholicism, you still have imputed sin. The uh, the punishment for it, for venial sins, it's still upon you. Unless you do penance, unless you do indulgence. Um, 
or else it will follow you into the fires of purgatory. Um, I mean, I, I guess all I have to do is I just need to find the modern-day Tetzel and get a plenary indulgence. Then I'll be, I'll be fine. Um, <laughs> no matter what I do, um, you know it's. But that was the Trout Iron Catholic from uh, the TikToks. And that's all for the Tiki Talks. Over to Discord. If we had had more time, I would have had Captain Calvinist take part in this procedure. Oh well, his law. <laughs> uh, pray for him and pray for what he's doing. All right, Agency asks, are you a Sabbatarian? Well, they ask several, but we're going to tackle them one at a time. Am I a Sabbatarian? Uh, by definition, a Christian who strictly observes Sunday as the Sabbath. Um, effectively, yes, on the principle of Jesus Christ is our rest. The true fulfillment of the Sabbath is the rest we shall have in Christ Jesus um, in the day of the Lord. Um yeah, effectively, yes. Um, just as first century Christians and second and onward century Christians did, I observe the Lord's Day for worship and for rest. Um, so his next question, how do I feel about Reformed Anglicanism? Um, the only Reformed Anglicans I've met, I've interacted with online, were high Calvinists and very imbalanced. Well, every, every high Calvinist I've met has been imbalanced. Um, KJV or Texas receptist onlyist, um, thinking you can only be saved within the dogmatics of reformed theology or well, first off, they force dogmatics. Um, they're dogmatists, they're dogmatics, just like Rome. Um, Um, and that's really my disagreement with them. They're dogmatics. Uh, they disfellowship perfectly faithful brothers and sisters. Uh, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's right. Uh, and it's... I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry they're going for a lower textual standard. Which TR? Uh, you know, it's... You, you have to... You have to do hyper-minor criticism with your text uh, just to define your position. Are we talking about the 1611 King James? That's completely different from the... Uh, it literally has different renderings compared to the Blaney revision and then with the Blaney revision. Are we talking about the the, uh, the, the Oxford or the Cambridge? Because those are different. Uh, uh, and then, well, I mean, would you entertain the new King James? Because um, it's also based on the Textus Receptus, and now it's based on the Scrivener's, uh, Scrivener's text, which, it's not based on the Scrivener's text. Scrivener is just a collation of the Greek readings of the King James, uh, because the King James was translated from the Textus Receptus, but that's an anachronism, that's just a marketing term. You have the five manuscripts of Desiderius Erasmus, the few of Stephanus, and the few, and then, like, what, one of Theodore Beza? Uh, and you have, 
revelation. It's just a whole mess because Erasmus didn't have manuscripts for at least a wide gamut of it. He had to uh, he, he had to use a Latin commentary to back translate into Greek. Um, and that's why it's got unique readings. Um, and and in, in from Beza's work, you've got um, the you've got the in what are those called? You've got the textual emendations from um, the um, Beza Kesebrinti Um You've got complete textual emendation in there. Um, as James White calls it, the living Bible of the early church. Um, Codex Beza Kesebrinti. Yeah, forget it. Um, like, which text are we going to use? How are we going to base it? How do we know which Textus Receptus is the right Textus Receptus? Where is the text critical? I would love a text critical Textus Receptus, and I think a, uh, a TR-onlyest friend of mine has given me one, and I'm sorry I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, I, life is busy, uh, and I busy it myself. But <laughs> um, I'd love a text critical a TR. I would love that. I would. I would buy that. Um, as long as it's not more than a hundred bucks, but um, I no, I've I have criticism to say to them. I think they're my siblings in Christ, but I have harsh criticism for them. Um, and his third and final: How do you view First Peter three on baptism? I believe I've said on here before my view about it. Uh, I think it disproves baptismal regeneration. Uh, let's let's look at it from the Greek because translations tend to do it a little weird. Uh, of course, you're talking about First Peter three twenty one particularly. I'm assuming. See, I don't like the New Living paraphrase. I don't think it's a translation. Um, I like its rendering here. It seems accurate. Um, but we'll look at the Greek of it. Um, oh, the NIV renders it. That's where I got my rendering of it from. From the NIV. That's what I quote when I say it. Um, oh, well, you know what? I guess the King James renders it all right. Um, it's, it's the NASB and the ESV that render it weird, and I don't know why. But they render it weird. And see, this is where you realize or are reminded that Stephen loves getting back to the Greek. I'm not settled on a translation as the dogmatic, this is the only Bible. There are many great translations, but we must realize there's no such thing as a perfect translation. Um, even literal translations will use um, other means, will not be literal in every every single place. But 1 Peter 3.21 reads, um, which also, uh, which also prefigures you, uh, 
which also now oh whoa okay reading it straight from the greek i forget is difficult um uh, which also now okay let's look at the nasby real quick i know i literally just bashed the rendering of this passage but it's in the next part of the sentence not the first part of the sentence uh, the first part, it actually renders it cogently, so as, as to be read. Um, corresponding to that, uh, baptism now saves you. Now back to the Greek. <laughs> Which is basically, that's the point being communicated, my brain just doesn't want a Greek grammar today. Um, not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but of a good conscience, the demand toward God through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Or, as the NIV puts it, as I've memorized it, um, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. And if it's the the ere, the eper, the eperotema, ace theon, Appeal of a good conscience to God. Um, then, or demand here, then we have to understand it in the context of what Paul has to say about man's will. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those katasarka, Ontes, for those being according to flesh, or according to flesh being, the things of mind, the things of the flesh, or set their mind on the things of the flesh. However, those kata numa, those according to the spirit, mind of the things of the spirit, or simply in the text, it's just paralleling the things of the flesh. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Zoe kaerene. Because the mind of the flesh ekthra eistheon is hostile toward God, is hostility to God. For to the law of God, it is not subject. For not even can it be. Now those being in the flesh are not able to please God. They are not able to please God. There is no such thing outside of the outside of the changing of the heart. There is no such thing as a good conscience towards God. So, the person described here as being katasarka cannot pledge a good conscience towards God. Will not. It's not. It's not. It's not so much that they cannot. They cannot because they will not. It is not of their nature. See, they have a naturally will. Um, not a libertarian will. They can't pick what's outside of their nature. 
They are katasarka. They mind the things of the flesh. Tates sarkas fronusun. The things of the flesh mind. Or minding to preserve the grammar, but to communicate the meaning. The flesh of the things of the flesh minding. Um, they're not able to please God. They're hostile to God. They don't subject themselves to his law. It's not... It's not... It's, it, the moral... <laughs> well, they're not going to subject themselves to any part of God's law, let alone the moral law. Which New Testament Christians, we, the Holy Spirit brings us to where we can be subject to God's moral law. For we are able to be. To a degree. <laughs> but being regenerated, we are able to please God. We are able to pledge a good conscience towards God. So regeneration precedes baptism. If you read everything Paul has to say about the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, Um, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Um, um, baptism saves in that it is the pledge of a good conscience towards God. And I just spent the last little bit telling you the only way you can pledge a good conscience towards God in true faith is if God has taken out your heart of stone and given you the heart of flesh. If he has changed your mind from that of the flesh to that of the spirit. This is regeneration. This is salvation. You are born again. You are Christ's. And he will never cast you out. For he cannot deny himself. He who started a good work in you will complete it to the day of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. You're in his hand and you cannot be cast out. Because of the goodness that the Holy Spirit does in you. There's God who works in you to work into will. Your baptism is the response, is the pledge of a good conscience. To God. It is the humble obedience saying, yes, let's have the wedding ceremony. Let's have that symbolism. Let's have the ring. As Paul says in Romans 6, in baptism, you are submerged. You are buried with him in his death. And in being pulled up from the submersion in the waters, you are brought up. You are raised. His death becomes your death. His life is now your life. And it will therefore be forevermore. That is how baptism saves. As though you were walking barefoot on a gravel road. It's a pebble, very sharp pebble, to be looked back on and remembered with joy 
happiness. That I've been buried with Christ. And I've been raised into his life. I remember that day. I remember that experience. All right, the next question, if I can wake my phone back up after being away for a moment, getting water, um, not water, milk. A uh, reformed apologist asks, um, how would you answer the, a Pelagian who says that Psalm 51.5 is not about depravity, but rather the sin of David's adultery with Bathsheba, or that his mother bore him out of wedlock? Um, there's nothing else in the Bible about that situation happening so far as I know. Uh, but let's read Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when he went to Nathan the prophet, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Psalm, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your chesed, your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Thoroughly, thoroughly wash me from my iniquity, and from my sin cleanse me. For my transgressions I acknowledge, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and evil in your sight Done is done that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, in iniquity I was brought forth, and in sin my mother conceived me. So this whole thing is a repentance psalm. It's repentance. In fact, here's the passage I've been paralleling. In verse 11, Do not cast away, do not cast me away from your presence. And... Your Holy Spirit, do not take from me. This is a psalm of repentance. And, you know, David's worried about all these things. He's worried about the Holy Spirit being taken from him. He's questioning his salvation. Um, then, in Psalm, what is it, 119? Uh, he set not 119 uh, 139 or 136 oh goodness i brought it up on here before it's where he says you know all the days before me were written in your book before one of them came to pass it's a compatibilist he acknowledges the absolute sovereignty of god is working out of time and also that he has agency that he ought beg to god um <clears throat> The NIV renders this as, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Um, English Standard, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother did my mother conceive me. Berean, Surely I was brought forth in iniquity, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Um, the NASB, um, same as the ESV. Uh, King James, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Holman, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. 
um, NSV. Indeed, in iniquity I was brought forth, and sin my mother conceived me. The NET, the NET, which upholds itself as being kind of in the same ballpark as the NASB. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth. A sinner the moment my mother conceived me. That's weird. That's paraphrastic. That's weird. Um, um, Aramaic Bible in plain English. Because in evil I was formed in the womb and in sin my mother conceived me. Um, uh, the Greek for behold in lawless deeds I was conceived and in sins... Um, and in sins craved strange food for me, my mother. Okay, nope, looking at the Greek confused me even more about how one might interpret this passage. Um, it's, it's only five chapters later in Psalm... Oh, sorry, more than five. I thought we were in 53. Uh, it's only seven chapters later... Uh, in Psalm 58, um, where David writes, um, again in uh, 58.3, uh, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. You could say, well, David wasn't wicked. He was righteous. Well, that happens in time, biblically. <laughs> what's the whole point of uh what's the whole point of ephesians 2 we were once the wicked we were once just like the world and such were some of you first corinthians um we go astray we go, we all like sheep have turned astray each one of us to his own way and he has laid on him the iniquity of us all Isaiah 53. Um, so, you know, I just counter it with everything else Scripture has to say. It's perfectly reasonable to line it up with that. Um, for the confusing linguistic of that passage, I'd almost go more with what Psalm 58 says, because it's a lot more cut and dry about it. Zohru, Zoruch, Rishe, Lushaim, Merahim, Tau, Tau Mibitin, Tau Mibitin, Dobari, Dobari, Khazbar, Khazbar. Are estranged the wicked from the womb, they go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. Yes, I can cite read Hebrew. <laughs> I need a I need a lexicon if I didn't have the interlinear here. But um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I I don't think anywhere else in scripture would it begin to support um, the wedlock situation. Um, and with that, I say thank you all for your questions. It's that time where I question where my NIV is because I like its rendering of the passage. All right. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. 
Jesus spake these things to his disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go in the peace and love of our merciful Lord and Savior.